Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Again, I have no comments today, but we are working very hard to get to the end of this book, and I think we're going to do it in the next three or four programs, and so uh, so that's okay. But I'm really banking on a lot of comments at the end. All right. Now, in our last podcast, Gabe and I finished up through the first few pages of Chapter 31. So we are on fast track to complete our discussion of this incredible book, hopefully by the end of September. (laughs) All right. Now, today, I want to continue with Chapter 31 and move up through Chapter 33. Now, again, listeners, remember, we're going to just give you the highlights be sure that you read the entire chapters on your own because there's a lot there. Gabe is back with me in the studio today. So is my wife, Deborah. So welcome back, Gabe. Thank you. Good to be back. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Parker, who is always eager to help us off on a special project. So it's just Gabe, Deborah, me, and the equipment. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so far, the equipment's been working really well. All right. Just a brief summary. So at the end of our last podcast, Gabe and I discussed, with all the rumors floating around, the different plan strategies to assassinate Jim. Um, we discussed Cornelius' struggle to smuggle Jim safely away from Padana, secretly for 80 bucks. Firstly, he wanted 100 bucks, then he knew Jim didn't want to, so he lowered it to 80. Jim still didn't want to do anything about that. Did not like that plan at all. Now, the problem is Jim was so overwrought and stressed by it all that once Cornelius left, Jim went out of doors in the dark and he screamed out to the whole village he was not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I do think um, uh, we're going to open this up for discussion, but I do think uh, one of the things you want to start paying attention to in, uh, in these last several chapters is how much of the events happen in the dark. And you know, even though uh, you know we've talked about Heart of Darkness on the radio, uh, J- uh, Lord Jim still has its own kind of darkness, and you're going to see a lot of these events happening in the dark. Now, um, uh, let's start now on page 223, and uh, this is the next morning, um, and uh, um, you know it's it's. Uh, we, we run into Cornelius and, and Jim again. All right. So essentially what's happening is um, Jim now, with all, the, with all of the rumors going around, he, he feels like he does need to go to see Dorman. All right. So anybody else want to comment on that part? He's going to get help. He needs help. And so, so what he does is he gets up the next morning, he decides he's going to cross the river now, and he's going to go to Dorman's campong, and he said, uh, you know, he, he really wants to get the Bugis community involved in helping him manage 
to be honest, it's managed Sharif Ali and all the criminals that are you know on the island, and so so uh, uh, he uh, he does that. And uh, Cornelius is not really happy about that. He he doesn't want you know Jim to do any more. And the reason why he doesn't want Jim to do any more because he knows that people really love Jim. He knows that um, you know they really believe him, believe in him. He also knows that that uh, Jim has a lot of strength, physically. You know, he's not to be messed with. So, any comments from you guys? Well, it, it just shows that um, Jim is is happy. I think Jim is happy when he's. Um, when he's organizing and showing strength, and, and you know he has he has a good idea about how to um, to combat Sheriff Ali, and so that's so he's it seems like he's enjoying that. He you know and he feels good about that. Yeah. You know, the night before he was really kind of crazy, and uh, but it, it, I think it's interesting that Marlowe says right after that that uh, he may have gone a little crazy, but he slept like a baby. That night, because he <laughs> he got all of his frustration out. Yeah, so I, I, I it's also it's also good because he feels like he's doing something. I think right. it's a feeling of wanting to do something, probably. Yeah. And so so uh, essentially, what happens then? Jim comes back from this meeting with Dorman and the Bugies, and I guess I'm saying that right, Bugies. Um, the, the 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 thing is. Um, he's just elated about it. And, and again, I think it's exactly what you said. He's finally accomplishing something. They're going to side with him. And, uh, uh, but then, uh, you know, there's, some, there's a lot of things revealed here that, um, that we probably need to just you know, point out to people. Page 224, uh, if you look at it, Jim comes back. And he, he really, you know, after even sleeping all night he's probably you know really doing a lot of negotiation i mean you know he's trying to get the the community to really support and and they were going to have to actually go to war to get rid of sharif ali that's what they were going to have to do and so so uh uh you know he he got them committed on page 224 says he and he had got the Bugies ir- irretrievably committed to action and had made himself responsible for success on his own head. He was so elated that in the lightness of his heart, he absolutely tried to be civil with Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how anybody could be civil with Cornelius. <laughs> and because uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, Cornelius in the next couple programs. All right. Um, but but notice um, also on page 224, it says uh, the same paragraph. This is in the middle of the page. It says, but Cornelius, but Cornelius became wildly jovial in response. And it was almost more than he could stand. He says to hear his little squeaks of false laughter, to see him wriggle and blink and suddenly catch hold of his chin and crouch low over the table with a distracted stare. The girl did not show herself and Jim retired early. Now, essentially, to me, when someone retires early, they go to bed. And uh, but for some reason, you know, Jim, he, you know, Jim does some things that are unusual. He, he remember now. I just read. He said he wants to be civil to Cornelius. So essentially, what he does, um, you know, he gets back up and he wants to say good night to Cornelius. And it says that, that when he goes back to say goodnight, 
Cornelius did not expect to see him. He jumps up, knocking his chair over, ducked out of sight as if to pick up something he had dropped. His good night came huskily from under the table. <laughs> under the table. It's <laughs> a good picture. You can, so, you can see the comedic, you know, action there. It's comedic, mm-hmm. but, you know, when, when I first read through this, I thought, that doesn't sound good. It sounds like he's hiding something. That's that's what mm-hmm. I thought. And uh, I don't know what you guys thought about that when you first read it. No, oh, yeah, it, it seems like he's kind of hiding something and... Like you said, like you said, he wasn't expecting to see Jim, and I don't know this kind of reaction. Just from what we've read about Cornelius in the past, it kind of strikes me as uncharacteristic of him yeah. to be scared. So yeah, it definitely seems like something was going on here. Right, right. So so anyway, um, Jim Jim here is trying to be civil. I mean, he does not trust the guy, but he says, uh, "What what's the matter? Are you unwell?" Asked Jim. "Yes, yes, a great colic in my stomach," <laughs> says the other. And it is Jim's opinion that it was perfectly true. If so, it was in view of the completed action an abject sign of still imperfect callousness for which he must be given all due credit. And so so the thing is, it was a lie. And I think Marlowe is trying to insinuate to his audience there that Jim should have picked up on it, that it it was a a lie. I don't know if we can actually say that. Do we we believe Jim's naive? I I would say definitely. He was definitely was too trusting of Cornelius. You know, I don't, I don't believe that he he that he thought that Cornelius was that dangerous, or that he felt it, it was almost like he didn't matter enough to. You know, I, I don't think he. I think he was naive. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll come to some more of that. All right. Um, now, I, I think again that, that going into this, it's it's um to me. Let's talk about Conrad and the way he goes through this. It's it's like. Jim goes back, goes to sleep, and it's almost like he has these prophetic dreams. You know, you can see that Conrad is playing with this. And uh, if you look at the bottom of page 224, it says, Be as it may, Jim's slumbers were disturbed by a dream of heavens, like brass resounding with a great voice, which called upon him to awake, awake, so loud that notwithstanding his desperate determination to sleep on, he did wake up in reality. The glare of a red sputtering conflagration going on in midair fell upon his on his eyes. Coils of black thick smoke curved around the head of some apparition, some unearthly being, all in white, with severe, drawn, anxious face. He says, after a second or so, he realized he recognized the girl. <laughs> and so, so here's this dream. I mean, can you imagine? Like I said months ago about about Conrad, he would have made a great. Great movie director. Yes. Can you see, I can just see mm-hmm. the scene. Oh, yes. You're seeing in the movie, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on with him. And, uh, you know, it goes on to say, after a second or two, I mean, the guy is sound asleep probably by this time. He, he says he sees the girl. She was holding a dammer torch at arm's length aloft. And in a persistent, urgent monotone, she was repeating, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> and he said, it goes on to say, suddenly he leaps to his feet and at once put into his hand and she put into his hand a revolver his own revolver which had been hanging on a nail but loaded this time he gripped it in silence bewildered so he's still not awake yet he's just he's just letting her put the revolver in her in his hand and uh you know and he said i I think this is funny he wondered what he could do for her (laughs) 
<laughs> in other words, he doesn't think in a bit that he's in trouble. No, he's not thinking about himself. He yeah. think he he thinks he's going to help her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, what does she ask? Then, with a very low turn. Can you face four men with this? <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, we we've named this program "Jewel Save Jim from Assassination." All right. So it, it, notice it says there he laughed while narrating this part at the recollection of his polite alacrity. It seems he made quite a display of it. So, so here Marlowe is telling his uh, you know, people listening to him on the veranda that, that he got this information from Jim. Jim told him what happened that night. He said, and so he was laughing at the whole thing. It seems he made a great display of it. Certainly, of course, certainly command me. He was not properly awake and had a notion of being very civil in these extraordinary circumstances <laughs> of showing his unquestionable devoted readiness. So he, he's not. He's being a gentleman, basically. He said, yeah. okay, oh, well, sure, I have, I have a revolver. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not convinced there's any trouble. No. Yeah, he's, he just, this is his, as we just talked earlier, it's his naivete. Mm. He does not, he does, he's not worried about being in trouble. Notice that he goes on, Marlowe goes on talking. He says, she left the room and he followed her in the passage. They disturbed an old hag who did the casual cooking of the household, though she was so decrepit as to be hardly able to understand human speech. She got up, bobbled behind them, mumbling toothlessly. <laughs> I mean, that this is a scene, really. Yeah, the descriptions are great. Yeah. yeah. On the veranda of cellcloth belonging to Cornelius swayed lightly to the touch of Jim's elbow. It was empty. So, so anyway, there's this big description of the, the, uh, of Stein's Trading Company. So we don't need to, need to bother mm -hmm. with that. But, but I, I think it's interesting at the bottom. We're on, on page 225 now, by the way. Anybody out there listening? And uh, uh, at the very bottom of that page, Marlowe Marlo says, uh, um, you know. He, he tells the, the the guys on the veranda. He he talks about, you know, that what what Jewel is trying to get across to him. He said, uh, before descending the few steps, the girl turned her face over her shoulder and said quickly, "You were to be set upon while you slept." Jim tells me he experienced a sense of deception. It was the old story. He was weary of these attempts upon his life. He had his fill of these alarms. He was sick of them, and he assured me that he was angry with the girl for deceiving him. And so, so here, this poor girl is trying to save his life and he's mad at her now because he's tired of it all. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he really is full of all these rumors that people wanted to assassinate him, but it was true. There were a lot of people wanted to get rid of him. And so, uh, you know, um, yeah, he he, uh, he goes on and says he followed her under the impression that it was she who wanted his help. And now he had half a mind to turn on his heel and go back in disgust. Do you know, he commented profoundly, I'd rather think I was not quite myself for whole weeks on end about that time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, Marlowe was always there to tell him, no, it, no, it was okay. All right, so so the, the, the thing is, 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 again, Conrad is just great at this. And if we go down to the middle of the page, even though the jewel is, in, it's, it's kind of like we're in the middle of the story. We don't even know, you know, exactly how this is all going to come out, except now that we've read it, we know. 
but but he goes on to say, this is the middle of the page, he says, remember now, this is a love story I'm telling you um, uh, now. He says, a lovely night that seemed to breathe on them a soft caress. The flame of the torch streamed now and then with a, a fluttering noise like a flag, and for a time this was the only sound. And and so so here he's trying to paint this romantic picture, and then all of a sudden he slips back into Jewel talking. And she says, they're, they're in the storehouse waiting, whispered the girl. They're waiting for the signal. Who's to give it, he asked. You know, so, so remember now, he's mad. He's, he's kind of angry that he's even out there. So he doesn't even necessarily believe her yet. But we're supposed to remember this as a love story. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's, he's putting all this stuff together for us. And uh, uh, he's, notice she never answers who's to give the signal. I think that's interesting. She shakes the torch. Yeah, well, she's, yeah, well, I know you have your idea that she's, she's shaking the torch. But what does that, what does that tell them? Mm-hmm. Some, somebody was going to shake the torch. I don't know. Oh, okay. It doesn't say who. Oh, that's that's well, what I meant. That like, could be. Yeah, someone's oh. going to shake the torch. So. Oh, maybe yeah. that's it. All yeah. right. Well, anyway, uh, he said, only you have been sleeping so restlessly, she continued in a murmur. I watched your, your sleep, too. You, he exclaimed, craning his neck to look upon him. You think I watched on that night, this night only, she said, with a sort of despairing indignation. So all of a sudden, Jim realizes, he starts kind of like, Maybe he got enough oxygen <laughs> in his system. He finally wakes up and he realizes, ha, she's been watching over me for a lot of nights. And so, so uh, uh, you know, he, he, and this is great, great by Conrad. Said, he said it was as if he had received a blow on the chest. He gasped. He thought he'd been an awful brute somehow. He felt remorseful, touched, happy, elated. This, let me remind you again, is a love story. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it by the imbecility, not a repulsive imbecility, the exalted imbecility of these proceedings, the station of the torchlight as if they had come here on purpose to have it out for the edification of concealed murderers. And so uh, so essentially, um, you know, Marla goes ahead and, and reveals that these were Sheriff Elise emissaries and everybody out there, you know, when you're reading this, you have to remember we already know that Jim took the camp, but now we're going back in time before the camp, and so, so uh, again, um, the, essentially we're getting filled in on some details that we, we didn't even uh, you know, know were there. All right. So he said, if Sheriff Elise emissaries had been possessed, as Jim remarked, of a pennyworth of spunk, this was the time to make a rush. His heart was thumping, not in fear, but he seemed to hear the grass rustle, and he stepped smartly out of the light. Something dark, imperfectly seen, fitted rapidly out of sight. He called out in a strong voice, Cornelius, oh, Cornelius. <laughs> and so he sees Cornelius there. And so so uh, it, it goes on to say, this is page 227. It says, a profound silence succeeded. His voice did not seem to have carried 20 feet. A girl, again, the girl was by his side. She says, fly, she said. The old woman was coming up, her broken figure hovered in the crippled little jumps on the edge of the light. They heard her mumbling and a light moaning sigh. Fly, repeated the girl excitedly. They are frightened now. This light, the voices, they know you're awake now. They know you are big, strong, and fearless. If I am that, he began. But she interrupted him. Yes, tonight. But what of tomorrow night, or the next night, or the night after, or of, of all the many, many nights? Can I always be watching? 
And he says a sobbing catch of her breath affected him beyond the power of words. So <laughs> here they're having their romantic moment in the middle of an assassination attempt. So I think that's really funny. What do you think, Gabe? Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. My question is, how does uh, Jewel know about this attack? I've always wondered, just reading through this, because she, she seems to know so much about it where, where it's going to happen and all this. So how does she know about it all? Right. I, I think, I think uh, Marlo does reveal it. it it's, 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 uh, when we get there, it's page 235, that, and I'll show everybody when we get, we'll get close to that is that uh, Cornelius is definitely involved. And I, I suspected all along, maybe that's why she doesn't answer him. Because in some ways, she's in a bad situation with Cornelius. And I know this is all fiction, but just, just think about, he's probably based this on some family situation he's known, you know, Marlowe. So she's in a bad situation if, if it gets revealed you know what? What could happen if it gets revealed that she re- informed him, and he's still killed or something like that? Then she's going to pay the price too. And so, so I do think, I do think Conrad is the kind of writer that he wants us to think it through, and he's not going to tell us everything. And, and there's certainly a lot, a lot in there. All right. And so, so and, and anyway, we'll come back to this uh, either this program or the next one. But so uh, maybe that'll keep all of you out there interesting, interested. All right. So anyway, um, uh, Marla goes on to say, he told me that he had never felt so small, so powerless as to courage. What was the good of it, he thought. He was so helpless that even flight seemed of no use. And though she kept on whispering, go to Doraman, go to Doraman, with a feverish insistence, he realized that for him there was no refuge from that loneliness which centupled all his dangers except in her. I thought he said to me that if I went away from her, it would be the end of everything somehow. So there so come all, the violins. All of a sudden, here come the, yes, all of a sudden. <laughs> here come the violins, she the means roses, everything. and the chocolate candy. <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> Only as they couldn't stop there forever in the middle of that courtyard, he made up his mind to go and look into the storehouse. He let her follow him without thinking of any protest as if they had been indissolubly united I am fearless am I he muttered through his teeth she restrained his arm wait till you hear my voice she said and in the torch and torch in hand ran lightly around the corner so so now she's really heavily involved in exposing the assassins and so she's got a plan so so one thing we have to realize about Jewel she's not dumb no she's really strong She's yes. really, really mm-hmm. strong, mm-hmm. and uh, you know she she's uh, she's had to deal with a criminal mm-hmm. as a father, a stepfather, and so so she knows she knows the dark side of life. I think we ought to say it that way. He said he so she goes to the other side. Now, the old hag let out a dreary groan somewhere behind his back. So, so Conrad. I mean, he would never have had to put the old hag in the scene. I know. Why, why is that old hag always there? I don't know. Because <laughs> he's a movie director. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, just, you can just see it. Uh, like I said, last program, there is a movie. I really want to see it. I don't know how I'm going to be able to get a copy of it because it's pretty old. But, uh, but anyway, it says, um, 
He heard a high-pitched, almost screaming call from the girl. Now, push! He pushed violently. The door swung with a creak and a clatter, disclosing to his intense astonishment the low, dungeon-like interior illuminated by a lurid, waving glare. A turmoil of smoke eddied down upon an empty wooden crate in the middle of the floor. So the girl, essentially, I don't need to read all of that. She's on the other side of the storehouse with her arm in the window with the torch so that he can see what's going on. And, uh, uh, of course, when you, you, you get in there, there's four men in there, and they're, ha- they're all hiding underneath, what, a bunch of rags. You know, it's probably full of rats and everything else. So, so uh, um, if we go to, over to page 228, it said, he, this is Marlowe speaking again. He explained to me that he was bitterly disappointed at this. His fortitude had been tried by so many warnings. He had been for weeks surrounded by many hints of danger, and he wanted the relief of some reality of something tangible that he could meet. It would have cleared the air for a couple of hours at least, if you know what I mean, he said to me. I had been living for days with a stone on my chest. Now at last he had thought he would get a hold of something and nothing, not a trace, not a sign of anybody. He raised his weapon and and uh, the door flew open, but now his arm fell. Fire, defend yourself, the girl outside cried in an agonizing voice. She being in the dark and with her arm thrust into the shoulder through the small hole, couldn't see what was going on. There now there he makes the point that she's in the darkness. And so, so th- that keeps coming out now towards the end of the book. And so he said, he said, there's nobody here yelled Jim contemptuously, so he's, he's pretty much still frustrated with her. But his impulse to burst into a, um, into a resentful, exasperated laugh died without a sound. He had perceived in the very act of turning away he was exchanging glances with a pair of eyes in the heap of mats. He saw a shifting gleam of whites. That's the guy's teeth. <laughs> you know, so, so he said, come to, he cried in a fury. A little doubtful, a dark-faced head, a head without a body, shaped itself in the rubbish, strangely detached the head, and that looked at him with a steady scowl. Next moment, the whole mound stirred, and with a low grunt, a man emerged swiftly and bounded towards Jim. Behind him, the mass, as it were, jumped and flew. His right arm was raised with a crooked elbow and a dull blade of a criss protruded from his first held off a little above his head. A cloth wound tight around his loins seemed dazzling white on his bronze skin. His naked body glistened as if wet. So so Jim is telling Marlowe all of this. So so obviously Jim is very observant because <laughs> he's got all this in his mind. And uh, so to make a long story short, uh, he has his revolver. The guy comes pretty close to him. And he has the gall to wait he gets as close as he can he shoots the guy in the mouth kills him instantly and uh you know then uh there, he finds another guy in there and uh th- this guy knows it's tuan this is the this is the strong man and so uh jim gets him this is the b- bottom of page 220 or i should say not the very bottom of page 229 but it says uh Jim said the other made no sound. He's just sitting there on his legs. How many more are you? And Jim asked again, two more, Tuan, said the man very softly, looking with big, fascinated eyes into the muzzle of the revolver. (laughs) 
according, accordingly, two more crawl from under the mats, holding out ostensibly their empty hands. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, Jill, not Jill, Jewel. <laughs> there's Jim. Jim is the Jim is the three, <laughs> three letters. Jewel is a little bit longer. Anyway, uh, so essentially, uh, she she saved him. All right, but that's not it. So now we go on to chapter thirty-two, and so here we are moving right along. All right. So what happens in chapter thirty-two? Who wants to start? Well, one thing I want to say at the when chapter two thirty-two starts is that um, there's a mention at the bottom of two twenty-nine that um, all that time the torch had remained vertical in the grip of a little hand without so much as a tremble. So I, I, that's just one of these little little notes that that. Um, Conrad puts in there to show that she was really strong. I mean, she she kept she kept that torch, you know, in there without mo- moving it. She was she had it really strong. I mean, a little hand, but it was it was yeah. strong. So I, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yes, yeah. Well, she is definitely she's de- very definitely a strong mm-hmm. woman. All right. So chapter thirty-two. Uh, one thing we have to agree on: the romantic. The romance is not over. Remember, this is a love story. So chapter 32 continues the love story. I might have to change the title of this program now that we're... <laughs> maybe we should call it The Love Story. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway, the, it, chapter 32 goes on to say that, that he, uh, he got the three guys that were left. Um, and he's, he knows they're Sharif Ali's assassins. And so... Um, Top of page two thirty, he decides he's going to march them back to the to the riverbank, and he he tells them he says the first who withdraws his arm or turns his head is a dead man. <laughs> Remember he's got the revolver, and he's walking them. And he said they stepped out together rigidly. He followed them at the side of the girl in a trailing white gown. Her black hair falling as low as her waist bore the light. Erect and swaying, she seemed to glide without touching the earth. The only sound was the silky swish and the rustle of the long grass. Stop, cried Jim. And so, so the, the thing is, is they're, they're walking to the riverbank. And essentially, if you think about it, if you go, if you go back and into the book, and when Jim first goes up the r- river, what's in the river? What, are, what animals are in the river? Remember, there's monkeys on the side. And then there's alligators. alligators. And so he makes them he makes them them jump in the river. All right. Well, as always happens to us, we are out of time for the rest of this program. And so uh, essentially what we're gonna do is save some of this for next time. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Deborah, Gabe, and I will continue our discussion of Jim's adventures on Patazon. Now, it's rather late in the game, but you can still buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good use copy at abebooks.com, and you may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So we will be ending this series, hopefully by the end of, of September. We have a new series beginning uh, at that time in October. We will be announcing that on uh, both uh, Twitter and Facebook, so just hold on to your seats. Uh, I think you're going to be very excited about it. I'm excited to start it. 
So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.